Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Megan Doherty and myself are back for another season of Picard. In this series, it's Picard Season 3, which will be the final season of this great television series. In this series, we will go through each episode, detailing the synopsis, taking a look at some of our favorite scenes and discussing general themes and looking at key Easter eggs. I know you'll enjoy because that's what heroes do, Picard Season 3. In this episode, we take up Picard Season 3, Episode 6, The Bounty. Episode 6, The Bounty. In this episode, the duo of Worf and Raffi arrive, or rather board, the Titan, and together with the crew develop and execute a plan to infiltrate Daystrom Station. The Titan is forced to flee after Starfleet ships arrive. Picard seeks help from Geordi LaForge, his former chief engineer and now a commodore in charge of the Starfleet Museum working on a secret project. The away team is confronted by a version of Professor Moriarty and discovers that a Soong-type android containing the memories of Data, B4, Lal, Lore, and Alton Soong is at the heart of Daystrom Station and it contains the project databases they are looking for. Equipped with a Klingon cloaking device stolen by Jack, and with LaForge's daughters, Sydney and Alandra, the crew returns to Daystrom, where they recover the away team, minus Riker, who was captured, along with the android. Picard speaks with the Daystrom android and manages to awaken Data's personality. Data reveals the changeling stole the original dead organic body of Admiral Picard. Riker is brought aboard the Shrike, where he is reunited with his wife, Deanna Troy, who has been abducted by Vedic. So, Megan, this episode, episode six, is entitled Bounty. That refers to, obviously, the HMS Bounty of Mutiny on the Bounty. But from Star Trek World, it is Star Trek IV Voyage Home. They go in a ship called the Bounty. I'm not sure if I would have named it that uh, because I would have said something completely trite like Old Home Week or Old Friends Week. But. Uh, this, to me, was one of the most action-packed episodes, and this is a series that's action-packed, but what stood out for you? The fact that this is becoming a regular refrain for me is that, yet again, you have called it on interpersonal character motivations, <laughs> and this time it was that the problems between father and daughter, Jordy <sighs> and Sydney, were about her career choice and his disappointment in it. You were right. Just for the record, wanted to get that out there. <laughs> I, I, I was so irritated at Jordy for this. Uh, I just, I, whatever my father's faults were, one time I, my choice, like, God bless you, son. That's what you want to do. You go do it. And I tried to be that way with my daughter. And I just think it's completely unfair for a parent to, to yeah. choose 
uh, for someone, particularly someone who is of age and a legal adult, that gets to make their own decisions. And so I was really irritated with Jordy for about half the episode. But I have to start with my absolute most favorite line. And you alluded to it in the prior episode. (laughs) Uh, And it's when Raffi and Worf come aboard and seven of nine, and they see each other. Seven of nine, I thought, was a little too, I don't want to say cool, but cold. Um, because I thought they they had been lovers at by the end of season, season two. Um, but Worf completely diffused the situation. Where he said, I have often got into battle with those who were former lovers. And I find that they fight for each other quite well. And, she says, and I'm not coming. It says, oh, so, what a relief. It was so great. And he was oh, the yeah. only one. Said, oh, yeah, former lovers, no big deal. Let's go. Come on, girls. Go like battle I've, the fight. I've, I've been in that conversation like before road trips, maybe before, <laughs> before class projects. <laughs> that was so accurate. <laughs> but I absolutely love, oh, yeah. I've been with a, I've been with former lovers. No big deal. <laughs> and so I thought that completely diffused diffused it at least for the TV audience. Maybe not for those two. Yeah. But I thought Seven was more harsh than Raffi was. Uh, I don't know. How you th- oh yeah, you, you can tell who initiated that, that breakup. It wasn't <laughs> Raffi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, we've got. Mr. Worf back with the gang and we're heading off to the space museum. And that's where, and that is so cool because it literally is that it is a space museum. Mm -hmm. And we get to see this whole dynamic with Jordy. Oh, and what about the dynamic with the younger daughter who stayed with dad (laughs) or is she the older daughter? Maybe it's the prodigal daughter. Maybe we've misinterpreted who's the oldest. I think the older one is Elena, Eleanor. Right. Yeah, the one who stayed with Jordy. That that's the older oldest one. to me. Yeah. No, Sydney is either middle or youngest. I don't know I if we'll be able to get that confirmed, but I think either middle or youngest. I thought I didn't think there was a middle because I thought it was just those two. So I'm going to say she's the youngest. Okay. Okay. I had in my head there were three, but I I could have just invented that. So. Right. <laughs> and you know, the, at one at one point he says, "Call mom and tell her we'll be late for dinner." Yeah. I'm like really? Are you really still living with your parents? Are you really going home for dinner with your dad? <sighs> yeah, maybe in the future people have like more maybe intergenerational families and living situations are more common, and that's just like a really nice thing about the future. I cannot nice imagine idea. a worse existence than going home every night to eat dinner with my parents. And I've thought that since I was about 18. I just like every no. night might be a little much. No. So uh, I remember I dated this girl once and her dad would call her once a week. It's like, well, honey, you ready to move back home? She's like, dad, we've talked about this. I'm 30. I'm going to live on my own. It's, it's got to be a dad thing. When I, when I moved out for the first time, well not the, when I moved out, it wasn't the first time I stayed moved out. It was moving day. We were in the front yard and uh, my dad gives me this big hug. He was about to drive me. So it wasn't like, just so you know, you always have a home here. You can always come back whenever you want. And then my mom gave me a hug and she's like, once you're gone, you're out. 
sister had moved into my bedroom by the time like the car was out of the driveway. <laughs> like I remember my sister got a scholarship to a university halfway across the country. And my father's only comment was, well, you know, she'll never move back. I'm like, really, dad? That's what you're worried about? She's got a full boat engineering scholarship to one of the top universities in America. And your comment is, you'll never move back. Yeah, yeah she'll just marry some guy and stay up there. <laughs> okay. In, in the words of Thor, God of Thunder, families can be tough. <laughs> uh, so did you find Jordy's irritation with the daughter on the Titan valid even? I just literally was very, very irritated with him about yeah, that. It, it seemed weird. It seemed out of character, at least from what I remember. It, it feels like, like, what a weird hill to die on. It's like, oh no, your child became a well-regarded pilot on a prominent starship under <laughs> under a very good captain. The horror. <laughs> under Megan's favorite, Captain Shaw. I love Captain Shaw. He just continues to grow on me. But like, I, I yeah, it seemed... Weird. And I don't know, maybe who knows what's happened to Jordy in the intervening years. You know, maybe he became one of those really protective people and, and maybe even a little fearful and anxious about the, you know, the ways that the universe could harm his family. I can I can see that. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially because he opens up by talking about the memos he's writing about how awful an idea it is to bring the whole fleet together in one place, which okay, yeah, okay, he's so win some, lose some on the Jordy. But oh, it was nice to see them hugging. When Beverly came up for the hug and they Yeah, it was, it was good. So what about um, when they break into Daystrom Station? That was um, all very interesting. I really, really enjoyed the part where first the crow flies, then there was the music, and then Moriarty appeared because I thought what was happening was the station had such a sophisticated defense system that it could almost target the individual intruders for sort mm -hmm. of their worst nightmares. I wasn't quite sure how Mo Moriarty worked into that, but the crow and then the music, I thought this is a really interesting place. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I had a slightly different one after I kind of got over the, okay, so we've got a Victorian hologram, interesting. But then it, it seemed more like to me on second watching that it was data or the, the brain of data, the AI that he was really representing was trying as much as possible to subvert the anti-intruder programming. And he was trying to provide these clues as to how to get through it. And so I thought, I thought it was less about trying to be as scary as possible and more about trying to, within the parameters that existed, help as much as possible. Uh, no. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's yeah. And then they had, you know, they had a triple. So you have to just love. Tack triple. Tack triple. And Warp was like, we hate doubles. <laughs> With good reason. Even today, we hate doubles. <laughs> so you have to give a shout out to that. But the um, when they do discover this iteration of data, data, I was really intrigued first by the comments of Dr. Soon, mm -hmm. but also by the incorporation, and I absolutely loved it, of lore. And his personality. Yeah, great way to demonstrate that there's a lot going on here. This is this is really a new character, not not an old one older. Exactly. And for those who don't know, Lore is the evil twin of Data. 
and uh, his alter ego, very manipulative, just as smart. And so there is a uh, conflict slash competition in this new character of who will win out, Lore or Data. Mm. And if Lore wins out, it's going to be very, very bad. Mm-hmm. <sighs> because apparently he has a very long memory of what they did to him. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that part. I wish, I almost wish they could have had a whole episode just on the conflict between Lore and, da- lore and mm-hmm. Data within the same physical body. Really good. Yeah, I know they couldn't within the time constraints of, of this series, but I just found that part fascinating. And, you know, what would prevent a lore character from winning? Um, <laughs> who is right? Well, well, just, just talking about that whole, this, I mentioned that in our last episode, I had a comment that was much more appropriate for this one. And it was when Riker was figuring out kind of that mystery of the two and the, the Pop Goes the Weasel song. And we right. got that flashback to young Riker. Yes. And, Whoa. So I was watching this like, okay, how is that tiny infant baby, the, you know, impressive grown man that I remember as a child watching TNG? And I was wondering if, if just, and this is kind of just like my experience of watching the show, but if, if one of the reasons it's so enjoyable is that like these aged up characters are making it, it's in the same scale as it was when I was first watching Star Trek for the first time with like how much older these characters are and my age in relation to them. And I just thought that was really interesting. To That's, see them a all aged up that way. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, the, uh, let's go back to mm-hmm. the, the space museum because I, I, I just had down here, Tom, how much did you love the fleet museum? Go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I listen. mean, every ship is on there and we get an entire recitation by seven of nine about Voyager <laughs> and yeah. And I think that's intuitively something we knew. But to hear her say that with humanity of Seven of Nine in this series, as opposed to the packed away humanity back from the Voyager days and the humanity she was rediscovering in herself, I thought was it was incredibly powerful. And and yeah. the the journey that Seven has had in these three seasons of Picard uh, has just been so incredible. I mean, her character from from Voyager days was incredible, but, you know, season one is the space ranger and then season two where she becomes a full human again and then becomes Borg again. And now three where she's the Starfleet officer have just been uh, both delightful to watch, but I, I found very emotional as well. Well, I had noted down that Worf isn't the only one who's been working on himself. <laughs> Well, that's no, a great, I, that's a great point. Worf working on himself. We haven't really explored that. Yeah, what you- but I just, in, in first uh, on seven, and I think this has made me feel a little bit better about the breakup with Raffi. Because if seven has grown so much or done so much work just in the course of, you know, one season, there wasn't a whole lot of time in between them. It seemed like, um, you know, there are way worse reasons to break it off with someone you really care about than because you need to do really deep personal work to become fully actualized as a person. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> but I thought that was interesting because, and this was, yeah, this one, she was telling this to Jake. This was like some of the most open and vulnerable she's ever been to a virtual stranger, you right. know, not, not an old friend. So I thought that was a really kind of telling revelation. You know, that's a great point. And I think I knew that, but to me, it was almost like 
he was such a stranger, it was actually safer mm-hmm. to, to, to talk. And sometimes you, well, sometimes I'll talk to people I don't know and tell them things I would never tell a friend because I know, uh, you know, I'm never going to see you again. It's never going to come back to haunt me. That's not the case here, but I wondered why him, because you're right. I heard her say things uh, at an emotional level. I had not heard specifically. They were my family. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think she's ever said that. And maybe it's because, you know, he is the son of Picard. Uh, and that's, uh, and she actually sees a lot of Picard in him. Yeah. And she's been pretty, pretty vocal about that. But I thought that scene, and what would you say that is? Was two minutes, maybe? And then a half. It was just, and it was in her quarters, uh, which I thought was another sort of, uh, I don't want to say intimacy, but um, she let him in her quarters. And that's, mm. I don't think, something she typically did either. And then, I, probably the most poignant for me was seeing the model of Voyager there mm. because it was her reminder of what that meant to her every night or every morning, whenever she woke up or when she went to bed. And I thought for me, that was as powerful uh, a piece of art or a piece, something. And then for her to explain it, I obviously thought that was pretty powerful, but I thought that was way cool. Um, But I want to go a little bit different direction in the space museum because the theft of the cloaking device. (laughs) <laughs> First of all, that is a direct ripoff from TOS, so I will take credit for that one. But uh, and it made perfect sense for those characters to do it. And okay. uh, so on a scale of one to ten, how likely is it that you think they will hook up by the end of the season? <laughs> I think high. Yeah, I've got it at like a, a seven point five to an eight, uh, and well, I think Jordy's going to be really mad about it. He he does. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning because that's what heroes do. I hope you'll join Megan and I again next week when we take up episode three. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it, we would greatly appreciate it. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.